0: all right welcome to the armchair commanders podcast my name is john and i'm jack and this week we are reviewing the classic film of all quiet on the western front this is 1930 right
1: yeah
0: exactly 1930 the 1930 variant uh i don't know about you but this was actually so I had read the book, and I had seen the 70s version and the Netflix version, and I had seen all of the, like, i seen most of the clips from this film, but this is the first time I've actually watched it start to finish. How about you?
1: I have watched it from start to finish before. There's a story about that. So back in fall of 2017, I was back in college at USD full time. And... I decided to branch out a bit and the club I joined was the games club at USD, you know, like board games and stuff. Right. One of the games that I almost immediately got drafted to play was Weird War One. It's an RPG that takes place during World War One. However, there's a bunch of freaky shit that happens, like, you know, supernatural shit or super science shit. And, you know, admittedly, I didn't I admitted I didn't know much about World War One. So I thought after after coming home, I decided to on a whim just put that movie on so I could get more of a sense of what I was getting into. And not only that, but I was playing a combat engineer or a sapper so i not only played that movie but i also watched the hurt locker in the same night and those movies blend together in a very disturbing manner well i'm sure but to this day all quiet on the western front the 1930 version is still one of the best war movies i've ever seen it's one of those movies that sticks with you
0: absolutely i uh this film has definitely stuck with me. Um, you know, I was a huge fan of uh, the other two variants of this film. And the book um, was probably one of my top five books that I've ever read. Um, yeah, it's, it's easily one of my top five, um, you know, favorites. But uh, I guess to, to start it off, how we we normally do would you think about it on this watch through
1: i i still liked it i still consider that one of the greatest war movies i've ever watched you know i like. i i was telling you before we started this that i'm glad we watched this again because there's some things that i had forgotten about completely and more more so on that later but i was tempted to just Confession time, I was tempted to just straight up not watch this one because of how much of it stuck with me. But I made the decision to take the time today to sit down and actually watch it again. And I'm really glad I did because it is a fantastic movie. And yeah, and I, I watched the 70s version and the Netflix version. I wasn't huge on the 70s version. The Netflix version was good, but... It, I feel it had its own problems. So altogether, I'd have to go with the 1930 version being the best version, in my opinion. However, the one problem I have with the 1930 version is that there's nothing about gas throughout the entire movie when that was such a huge po- part of World War One. And I'm beginning to wonder if there was a deleted scene or two where they talked about it or maybe there is it was involved in it or something but they just never talk about it is that because it was hard
0: i'm sure it probably was and the thing is is that you know for a film from 1930 there's a lot of stuff in here that they accomplished that i was honestly uh kind of impressed by like the number of night scenes that we get in this movie for a 1930s black and white film is is really kind of impressive and the fact that they're done they're they're done very well where you know i think there's only one time where it's like it's very obvious it's like a darkened stage or set and they have like a spotlight but pretty much every other scene it almost seems natural which i think is a huge accomplishment with camera technology at the time
1: oh absolutely night scenes are hard well i mean they're
0: they're hard even by today's standards oh yeah um so i will say though even though i was impressed by the the night scenes um you know this is still a very 1930s film it's it's got You know, for anybody who hasn't spent a lot of time watching older films from, like, the 30s and 40s, this film definitely fits the mold of how they generally would shoot scenes and kind of, you know, camera angles and all that stuff. But there's something about this film, like, and I only really noticed it during uh, the first major, like, battle scene when you have the, like, the French jumping the trench and i don't know if it was like the frame rate or i i don't know what it is but it just it almost feels as though it was like sped up a little bit um it yeah was a,
1: it, it it was and i don't remember the reasoning behind that
0: so i will say that was a little funky but like the the battle scenes in this film even for being like a very like you can very obviously tell it's a a heavily choreographed like the hand-to-hand fighting things are are very choreographed and it's very like you know i'm sticking a sword in your armpit type deal um i still thought they were they were great especially uh during that that same scene that we see the the french taking over the 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 trench we get the the back and forth image of the one machine gun entrenched uh, emplacement where we see it from the German side and then like it flips around and we get it from the French soldiers side and then it flips back to the German side and we see them open up and just like just basically like cutting them down in swaths and I thought that was a very a very uh well done moment in that overall scene yeah That, that was also that scene so you're familiar with the the infamous uh hands on barbed wire image right oh yeah it's it's usually a sing it's the like there's one frame that is like the most famous image in this entire movie that's often associated with this film and oftentimes like it'll be like posters and stuff like that like this movie if you were to Sum it up with one image it is the image of two hands and it's just the hands and they got like bloody stumps on them and they're Mm -hmm. gripping a set of barbed wire like i was looking for it and i knew it was coming up but even with the knowledge of it being of it going to be coming up and me specifically looking for it it still completely caught me off guard and i think Mm -hmm. that's i think that's a true testament to how powerful that one moment is and also i i forgot or i didn't realize like because i've seen the scene before but it is a scene that if you blink you will literally miss it because it's It's quick yeah it's like two or three seconds out of this entire film but it is probably one of the most like is probably the one moment in this film if nothing else sticks with you, that moment will. Mm Mm-hmm. But, um... Do
1: do you hear the creation of that scene?
0: No, I didn't.
1: So, he put out a casting call in Los Angeles in, like, the late 20s when they were first filming.
0: For, like, the first-hand models? Or...
1: For extras. And preferably German speaking or preferably world war one veterans. And he was surprised when over a thousand German veterans showed up and he would like, listen to the stories they would tell him. And that was one of the stories how when the soldiers or when a French assault happened, a French soldier grabbed onto the barbed wire, they set up and a grenade went off at that French soldier's feet. And they, the, his hands were still hanging on the barbed wire so yeah uh, just the fact that the stories the veterans told him influenced how the movie turned out is in my opinion very special and it really puts the, a new spin on this movie
0: i think that says a lot when a director is willing to incorporate input like that um because that shows that you have a director or you have a casting crew who is more focused about doing a story right than they are about anything else you know it's it's not so much the like quote unquote artistic nature of the film it's like we're we're just going to do this right and i think that that shows it
1: yeah man and another thing that i'd forgotten was in this movie entirely was that brief subplot about the boots it was yeah Cameron's that
0: boots that was uh i i really liked that because it didn't really veer you off of the main story too much but it's still like it, it was a great addition um you know obviously there's so much foreshadowing that is done about these boots that when he finally loses his leg and then ultimately dies um you know that in and of itself is a powerful moment and like him giving the boots to his other squad mate and then he dies if the film had left it at even just that it still would have been a great moment or a great series of events in this movie but the fact that they took the time to add, like, two extra minutes of just random people yeah. having these same set of boots and basically implying that they're cursed. It was, was, a, great, yeah. it was a great addition.
1: Yeah, the, the curse of Kemmerich's boots. And I, I just have to assume that that's, like, an old soldier's superstition, that if you take the boots off of a dead man, you'll join him.
0: Maybe, but also... I mean, there's a lot of uh, anecdotes through multiple wars of, you know, taking boots off of dead people because. Yeah, because boots are expensive. Well, yeah, and they wear out very quickly in those environments. So, I mean, there is so many different stories of like the American Revolution and the Civil War where you have guys who are literally marching barefoot because of a lack of shoes um, you know, we also saw that in the Alamo where uh, one of the scenes they had in that film was they focused in on Santa Ana's troops and you could see them marching with like rags on their feet through a mountain pass. Yeah but I I thought there was a lot of uh, I thought there was a lot of good performances. I will say that the... The influence of the was it the the mid Atlantic or the transatlantic? Uh...
1: Yeah, the transatlantic accents. And I was going to bring that up too. It's a very you see really, here, boys. It really t- really takes you out of the movie. You see, when all of these boys from Germany are speaking like they're from the Eastern United States. But yes, what can you do? I'd do anything for him. Yeah. Well you better believe he's I'd do anything for
0: him. He yes. was our postmaster just yesterday.
1: <laughs> That's something
0: I, I actually was, forgot. Yeah. That is something I did like is uh um this this movie is a pretty faithful adaptation of the book and I really appreciated the 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 like boot camp training scene with Himmelstoss, and how you know he he's been in the arm or he was in the reserves but you know he's he's technically been in the army for all of like a week longer than these guys and he's walking around like if you want to live you have to do what i say (laughs) like (laughs) yeah fuck off Himmelstoss.
1: yeah and he has this inflated ego because he outranks them and he like makes them march and march and march and crawl through the mud like okay yeah they're gonna do a lot of marching but do you know anything else that you can have them learn or no is that it nope that's it that's it just marching the only thing you need to know is marching yeah but uh, on the other side of things there's really no way to prepare them for trench warfare I don't think anyone, no one, was prepared for that
0: at that in, during that war. I, it's also one of those things that it's it's very difficult to comprehend or understand. Like obviously, we 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 don't have the firsthand experience of it, but we have an idea of it just because of our the accounts and the media portrayals that we have available to us. But I think like a great example of it is the scene where uh, Paul. Goes home on leave and he has uh, dinner with his old teacher who is like, you see, you you just got to knock off this trench warfare nonsense and just push on through the Paris. And he's like, it's that's it's how we di- stay safe. <laughs> he's like, it's it's different up there. Yeah. And And this teacher has the balls to say, you just don't get the big picture. It's that like, was fuck. his
1: that <laughs> was knock his. Off. That was his dad's friends when they're at the bar. Like, oh, my son is at the front and he's like, oh, you guys just need to push on to Paris. And he's like, motherfucker, I was there. And then that dickhead is like, oh, you just don't understand. He was there. And then like while they're arguing, like, no, we should push through Flanders. It's a flat field. Like, oh, we should just push straight to Paris. It's a straight shot. And then he just gets up and leaves. Right. Because like, what else can you? you? You you can't argue with these guys.
0: Well, he gets that same kind of treatment when he is like visiting his old school, and mind you, like th- his teacher is so wrapped up in the like like Kaiserland war, the Kaiserland fuck yeah mentality, yeah. <laughs> instead of America fuck yeah. yeah, I see what you did there. Yeah, I know, I'm I'm clever like. That. <laughs> but uh i thought that was a that was a great opening to the movie and then to actually revisit it was was pretty good you have a
1: complete different context at that point
0: yeah because well even in the beginning us as a viewer when the teacher is like he's like i can't tell you what to do but also you're a bunch of pussies if you don't you know yeah he like huh paul what about you straight up guilt them yeah and it's it's easy for him because he doesn't have to face the the consequences or the ramifications of that particular decision. He just he gets to sit there and you know he's he's like I'm a proud patriot that got these boys to sign up, but you know he never had to take any of the risks. Nope,
1: because why would he? And yeah, it, it really sells it because like yeah, they're eighteen or nineteen in this right at the beginning but they look their age and I think they made it a point at that scene towards the end when he comes home to make the students look even younger than they probably actually were and that yeah. that really just sells it yeah
0: speaking speaking of age um something that didn't age well in this um was uh do you remember the scene where they are all at a bar together and they see a poster of i, I think it was like a fashion poster or something like that but there's a singer okay um anyways there's a poster of a female and a dude and they like rip the poster in half so there's only the female on the wall and then they kind of just they start talking and it's like imposing they're like what is their dream girl on like this image and one of the questions they ask themselves are like how old do you think she is and one of them's like 22 and the other guy's like well that would make her older than us that's no good He's <laughs> like what about 17 yeah i'm like holy shit like yeah then, <laughs> mind you if they are 18 like i think any buddy today would be like yeah a 17 year old and an 18 year old dating each other is like that's a normal yeah that that's the equivalent of two high schoolers dating each other right yeah but just the way that they said it it just came off super creepy where it's like yeah yeah if only she was 17 like jesus christ guys like and
1: there's there's another part where their other compatriot Yaden comes up and he's like you know I, i like him a bit thicker in the middle or something and they're like, "Way to ruin it, Yaden." <laughs>
0: <laughs> way to go, Yaden, t- Yaden yad- yad- or Yaden,
1: T J A D E N. So I have to assume it's Yaden, and the T is silent. I don't know. I think it's. I think they say Yadin, but and then, but oh, yeah, Paul. Way ru- Paul's way to like, ruin way to it were with noble. your own. Way to yeah, ruin Paul it with it, your own preferences. Paul even said we were noble up until you said that. <laughs> were you? You were just talking about if she was seventeen. <laughs>
0: golly <laughs> well that's the other thing is uh you know they obviously like i said this is a faithful ad- adaptation of the book where pretty much most of the scenes that are in the book makes its way into this movie um one scene though that i was honestly i i still don't know how i 100 percent feel about it but there's a scene there there's a part of the story in the book that got translated to one of these scenes which is they're all bathing and there's a couple of french women who are walking along and basically they start catcalling them and essentially they initially are rejected because you know they're being dickheads Um, yeah but then it's like look we have a loaf of bread and then suddenly it's like it's like come over tonight and we'll suck your dicks and it's like what
1: (laughs) man life used to be a lot easier back then let me tell you what
0: (laughs) well i was like watching that scene and then remembering like how like the way it was written in the book like it was still like a problematic deal but the way it was written in the book made it much more like it was much well more understood that like everybody at this point in time is starving so like yeah it would make sense that anybody would do just about anything for food at this point but that wasn't established in this film like it's literally just these girls who are lo- walking along the riverbank with zero contacts beforehand and it's just like look we have a loaf of pumpernickel and then suddenly it's like come on over you know it's that that is one scene i think that they could have done better or tried to set up in a different way. Because honestly, if you're only watching this film and you see the scene, you're especially with a modern lens, you're going to be like, what in the fuck is this?
1: Yeah. And I think they kind of do mention the whole dire straits for food earlier, or at least imply
0: it with um, how hungry the soldiers are at the time. But that makes more sense as like a frontline soldier because obviously like on the front line of a battlefield you're going to be facing a lot of hardships and like food insecurity is a reasonable one but if we're literally looking at a scene before that where they're at a bar just having a grand old time and a big party basically we don't get that impression in like the civilian life of things especially like when he takes it when paul takes his trip home and you know, his mom's like, make sure you don't burn the potato pancakes and get the blackberry jam down, you know. It like we don't really see the the hardship or the want in the civilian side of this.
1: Don't um Paul's dad and his friends mention, How's the food at the front's gotta be better than what we have?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Is it though? Yeah.
0: Because this don't is get back me in... wrong, like they definitely were rationing, but...
1: Yeah, this is back in the time... Well, even in America, there was meatless Mondays and wheatless Wednesdays or whatever where you would just go without so
0: the boys at the front could eat. That's actually kind of uh, an interesting anecdote because obviously there was... Ra- so We did rationing in both World War II and World War I. Uh-huh. Uh, and for Americans, they did all of... There came a point... In the american involvement in world war one where they were doing rationing where america really didn't need to like we had more than enough but they could like the government still continue to push rationing in order to keep the american public kind of cohesive in this you know conflict
1: because mm-hmm.
0: it's like okay we're all chipping in and sacrificing something type deal world war Two was different that was at least the the front half of the war the, the rationing was much more necessary. I mean, so much so that, you know, during World War II, they changed pennies over from being copper to steel because... Mostly zinc. Yeah, but I mean, the exterior coating of them... Oh, yeah, over, yeah, yeah. ...changed over to steel because they needed the copper for other things. Yeah, and
1: people were encouraged to grow Victory Gardens... Kind of a tacky name, but I get the spirit.
0: So if your Victory Garden dies,
1: does that mean that we're going to lose the war? That means the Kaiser wins. <laughs> the Kaiser. But um, only tangentially related, but remember that play I was in last year, the Radium Girls? Yeah. <laughs> At the beginning, the um, titular radium girls decide to pull a prank where they paint their faces with radium and turn off the lights in the factory, wait for the supervisor to come on the floor, and then pop out from behind the desk and scare her. But she's also with the CEO of said company, so they're like, oh shit, we're going to get in trouble. And the CEO gives them a chin wagon, like... Whenever every time you girls screw around, you're playing right into the hands of the Kaiser. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, propaganda used to make itself practically.
0: <laughs> yeah, back in the day, propaganda actually kind of could make you feel somewhat uh, guilty too.
1: <laughs> like, Don't let this mad brute win.
0: <laughs> better dead than red. <laughs>
1: if i were a boy i'd join the navy
0: (laughs) oh the i gotta say world war ii and world war one had some stellar recruiting campaigns yeah yeah bye bye and buy bonds
1: what is a war bond anyway is it money you basically bet on your side
0: uh kind of so a war bond <laughs> works the same way that any other bond does which is you put in x amount of dollars and then after a set time you get that money back plus interest um and the government essentially used them to uh pay for war because yeah. world war 1 and world war 2 were very expensive i think they did war bonds during korea too um but yeah, it it was just a fundraising thing. World War II was was real big on war bonds. Uh a lot of times they would get Medal of Honor recipients. Yeah, to... Baz-
1: Basileon.
0: Yeah, him, the flag raisers of Iwo Jima did a really big one. Just literally anything worth uh bragging about, um, they would do it to to get war bonds. So, yeah. Uh...
1: I remember this. On the top kind of on the topic of propaganda but the daff i remember watching a daffy duck cartoon where he gets his paycheck from working at the factory and the devil duck like guides him towards this casino and hookers and whatnot he's like come on treat yourself you work hard and then the good angel duck like guides him is like you ought to buy some war bonds without money son haven't you g- have you forgotten our fighting boys overseas <laughs> Uh, that's why i always buy war bonds at every paycheck i get (laughs) because
0: that way you don't go to hell
1: yeah let's see you know scrooge mcduck was surprisingly absent from that i wonder what he did with his money
0: we see he sold the war bonds that's where yeah
1: he owned it we don't talk about his involvement in the war
0: Well, you see, he paid for somebody to take his place in the draft. Yep. Oh, wait, that was was a civil war. Never mind.
1: But getting back to the movie, I'm trying to think if there's (coughs) anything else I missed, but the brief training scene where like I said, they don't do much other than March, crawl through the muck and then uh,
0: beat the shit out of their drill sergeant. That was kind of a weird... That was another one of those moments. Like, them beating up their sergeant, I get it, because their sergeant was a dick in this movie. It was just, that was another moment in the filmmaking of this where I was like, okay, it shows the period it was made because, like, they show them whipping him with canes, but you can very obviously tell they're not making contact with him. (laughs) So...
1: (laughs) And that, yeah, that's another thing when they're in the little bunker, presumably in the first couple of weeks when they're just getting used to being bombarded every night. And that dude wigs out and Cat like tells Paul, hold him. And he like very obviously fake decks him across the face and he still reacts to it. And Cat's like, well, why'd you do that? And Cat doesn't even answer. Just hold him still. And then he punches him out and knocks him out this time. And just the how shittily delivered the fake punches were it just got me.
0: I will say it was very interesting to, you know, they didn't shy away from showing shell shock, but the way that they portray they portrayed shell shock, um, it's it's like if you YouTube shell shock, it's weird how much different. I mean, shell shock is just PTSD by another name. Yes. But I, I find it very interesting how different generations in different environments produce different reactions to it. Because obviously like we, we live in a time and in a generation where there's a huge population with PTSD from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And the way that those individuals present PTSD, um, is vastly different than the way we see world war one soldiers present ptsd because P- the the shell shock version of this is very like the like rocking back and forth screaming type deal kind of fidgeting jitters you know that type of deal versus like ptsd today is more depression based and and like kind of like panic attack based but like we don't see people today having breakdowns. Well, I mean, they, there are people that have breakdowns like that, but just not in the same numbers as we see in the World War One fashion. So it, that that was just an interesting thing to see in this film was the the portrayal of of PTSD slash shell shock, and it I find it also interesting, kind of like when you transition to like World War II films because they went away from shell shock in world war ii and just started calling it battle fatigue and whenever we see battle fatigue in world war ii films it's always even in like band of brothers it's like a dude just lying on the thousand yard stare yes thousand yards stare they're lying on the cot just being unresponsive which is also different from how ptsd presents most of the time in today's climate so Even though it's, quote unquote, I I mean, it it is the same thing. It's just, it's a very interesting thing to see how it presents through different generations.
1: Yeah, and it's also like the nature of how their wars were fought. The part of the reason why the Vietnam vets had such a prevalent rate of PTSD is because... World War Two guys on average faced about 40 or so days of combat a year where it's estimated Vietnam veterans had 240 days of combat a year and it wasn't just face the enemy and take this hill. It was like psychological. They could come bursting out of the jungle at any second or the next step I take could be the last. And in World War One you see it's just chill in a trench, get shelled, hope you don't die.
0: Maybe I don't know if it's up, necessarily up I don't know if it's necessarily chilling, but You know what I meant. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, there's a... Uh, like even being on the front line doesn't necessarily equate to like combat combat in a sense. Like you you're exposed to gunfire and shelling and all that stuff, but you know, day to day you're not like exposed to massive attacks it's not like it's not like world war ii where you're advancing through a country or vietnam where you know you're going through the jungles you know essentially waiting for an ambush or something or you know iraq rolling down the road and you know an ied can go off anytime yeah you know you know world war one's much you know it's different where it's like yep we're sitting and waiting here and you know there might be a shell with your name on it same kind of waiting and uncertainty for disaster except you're just stationary
1: yeah yeah certainly um vast psychological effect
0: Speaking of uh, psychological effects, what are you uh, drinking tonight?
1: I am drinking a bottle of Mickey's.
0: Mickey's? Yeah. I I didn't know they still made those.
1: Yeah, puzzle in the inside of every cap. Is
0: it is it like one of those like, like big bottles from like a convenience store type deal? What? Is it like one of those big bottles from the convenience store type thing? Oh, no,
1: it's a, it's from a six pack. A six a mix, as me and my friends call it.
0: Oh, I didn't know if you got yourself like a 40 or something.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. I don't like 40s of mix. You just kind of like, why get a 40 when you can get a bunch of sixes for that many more puzzles?
0: <laughs> You're just in pu- it for the puzzle.
1: Hey, the puzzle's like one of the best parts. I get it. It's, it's like a Kinder Egg, you know? kinder egg for adults i remember going out used to go out on the boat with my dad and he would i'd be drinking like i don't know mountain dew or a coke and he'd be having a mickey's and he would always you know uncap the mickey's look at the cap and then he'd hand it over to me to solve fun childhood memory i have
0: i remember when i was a kid um we generally didn't get Coca-Cola because, uh, you know, poor kid problems. So we usually drank at the time, raw RC Cola or Royal Cola, if you will, um, was cheaper. So we usually got RC Cola and as a kid, my dad always, what he would do is, you know, on a regular 12 ounce can, uh, what he would do is he would just push in a dent on the side um and that would denote that that was his can of soda and as a kid i was like okay whatever like that's dad's cans of, can of soda and then just like one day when i was like 6 or 7 i was like i was being a lazy piece of shit and i like cuz we we didn't keep soda like in the actual like house fridge we had like um you know one of those college dormitory mini fridges out in the garage that we kept our our sodas and uh, I was, like I said, I was being a lazy piece of shit and I was like, I don't want to go outside. So I just like went to the kitchen where my dad's soda was and I took a drink from it. And uh, it was at that point that I realized that my dad like mixing Crown Royal with his <laughs> cola. And I figured out why the fuck he made such a big deal about me not drinking from his soda anymore. So John's first whiskey. <laughs> i'm telling jerry i'm pretty sure he knew too because i i didn't have a great reaction to it at the time <laughs> i'm telling on you
1: <laughs> good old childhood memories right but um one of the things i was gonna bring up oh i was going is... before before you oh, get to ahead.
0: that i was going to say uh my drink of choice for tonight who is also not our sponsor unless you got us a mickey but sponsor. could be i was gonna say uh our not sponsor tonight is uh heineken so prost
1: prost um god damn it. oh yeah the thing i was gonna bring up is when he gets home he kisses his sister and mother on the mouth
0: just different different time man
1: like different, is it a cultural thing Do Germans do that?
0: I don't. I'm not going to speak to the German culture, but it wouldn't surprise me if in Europe at that time that was a thing. Just because, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yes, I I also noted that and was like, oh, that's kind of weird.
1: Yeah, man, the trenches fuck with a guy.
0: Just one week in the trenches, and all of a sudden you're you're into cousin loving.
1: Yeah, hate to see it happen.
0: What are you doing, Step Kaiser? Oh
1: God, <laughs> Step Kaiser, I'm stuck in the trench.
0: Oh Wilhelm,
1: <laughs> God, good lord. But yeah, the aforementioned dickhead post uh, postman turned drill sergeant turned casualty of war that dies on his first outing.
0: Have you ever rooted for a death more than that?
1: I'm pretty sure, but I can't remember when. <laughs> and he didn't even get a ceremonious death. He just like bomb go off, fall over.
0: It's kind of like when we were watching Gettysburg. I'm like, man, I hope Pickett's charge fails. <laughs> and you were somehow surprised. <laughs> who could have what? seen this coming i don't know maybe this time they turn it around huh?
1: yeah, maybe maybe we're watching like the alternate universe pickets charge
0: it's like uh that one episode of south park where they all pretend to be civil war reenactors oh uh, yeah the red and, the red badge of gayness yeah and cartman's like why do we have to lose and then in the middle of re- reenactment he just like just flips script is like i want to win it's like, you can't do that.
1: <laughs> he gets them all drunk off of S'more's schnapps. Oh, how I really hate you guys. <laughs> you just don't respect my authority. <laughs> and Butters is the messenger.
0: I'm tempted we, we should do a Red Badge of Gayness as a, a bonus reel sometime. We should.
1: But also, uh, I wanted to briefly mention the screams in this movie. I'm convinced, I'm convinced they actually recorded from the battlefield some of these screams. <laughs> like, man, they, they, the actors really nailed it with some of the screams. I'm convinced that dude was actually insane. <laughs>
0: You know what was an interesting part of this is you know the scene in the crater where paul kills the the french soldier yeah and you know how that french soldier never says anything nope um well the french soldier never says anything uh apparently the dude who plays that french soldier i forget his name but he was like a huge silent film star he yeah he had uh he he got some sort of disease as a kid that basically destroyed his vocal cords and all quiet on the western front was his last film credit because this was at the time where silent films were you know basically going out the window because of you know the recording technology so all quiet on the western front not only is it does he play a character who dies but it's also the quote-unquote death of his movie career
1: uh raymond griffith yeah and yeah what i'm reading right now says that that's on the money like uh, the advent of the talkies
0: it's like that uh that one episode from family guy where they made fun of the the silo film star who had just like a, a messed up voice and couldn't continue It was the uh, old
1: stone face. I can't remember his name. Stone face actor. Buster Keaton. Apparently, yeah, Yeah. he had a
0: really weird voice. I think we have a Buster Keaton film on our list. Goodness. It's a great locomotive chase. I digress <laughs> so yes we, we actually have two silent films on our list right now so really yeah so great locomotive chase and battleship potemkin interesting battleship potemkin is actually an interesting study so obviously you, you took film appreciation in school right i did yeah so at our school um one of the requirements of the degree is you had to have one art class under your belt um I took two of them um I took photography and I took art appreciation but there was also or not art appreciation film appreciation but you could also do like intro to drawing or um like there's a really popular one was rock and roll appreciation. I don't know if you took that, but No, I didn't. I think Miranda took both rock and roll appreciation and film appreciation. Anyways. I was
1: more of a film guy.
0: Anyways, we I took film appreciation in college and one of you know the first things you discuss is uh Birth of a Nation, which is obviously a clan movie. Yeah, it's <laughs> hmm,
1: it's something
0: well with the the recent kind of change in attitudes about such materials where it's like yeah even though we understand the historical importance of this film a lot of schools have actually started to stray away from the like they'll discuss it but they don't show it anymore and battleship potemkin has now kind of taken the the place of birth of a nation in a lot of film studies classes as like a super early example of film
1: hmm interesting i didn't know that yeah
0: a little tidbit of the day good to know now, now i won't be able to talk about that whenever we review it but yeah you really
1: really made your own bet on that one john yeah oh well
0: So, what um, was your favorite scene in this entire film?
1: I need to think on that. Like the frame rate issue and the pacing issue with the battle itself is definitely a problem. But that, but for the time, that was a um, solid battle scene, especially since how it showed how a creeping barrage worked. Right. I do. I do like that.
0: No, that battle was a. It was a great scene, and especially because it it led into the crater scene as well. Hmm. Huh. I, I think my favorite scene, um, is probably you know we already discussed it was the the shell shock scene in the bunker was probably my favorite just because it it really gave me something to think about
1: yeah and that that's how a, a good chunk of the war was like just sitting around waiting for the attack and just enduring the shelling, trying not to get buried alive.
0: right. had to have been maddening. You know, the thing that really shocked me about this film is this is... This is right at the beginning of the Hays Code era. And I was reading, apparently the Hays Code didn't really get like super strictly enforced until a few years after this film.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But Paramount, I think it was Paramount that produced this film. Which, for Paramount to produce this film at the time they did, because they started they made the decision to produce this film like very shortly after the stock market crash. And at the time it was a super expensive film. Mm -hmm. So they, they gambled heavily on this film. And once they finished it, it, this film in no way met the standards of the Hays code. The only time I, I saw in this film where it met Hays code standards is the scene where you know they're at the french house with the girls and we never see them have any actual like romantic contact with each other it's literally just like a scene of a shadow of a bed where they're talking to each other yeah um but everything else like you know the the blown up hand scene or you even when they're swimming we see you know bare naked ass men um because you know they decided to do flips in the water, <laughs> um, but we see that, and you know there's there's just death everywhere, and I was like, man, this this had to have been a hard sell to get it out, but apparent, but apparently Paramount made the big pitch. They're like, nope, we need to do it this way. We believe in it this strongly, and I'm I'm glad that they did that, because you know today a lot of films will more or less bend to the will of the mpaa
1: yeah that's that's the beauty of art is when it pushes the norms of society and dares and i was gonna bring this up earlier but um just have you ever realized how contra not eh, maybe not controversial but racy and R just r-rated movies used to be back in the day like the 20s they'd they'd show gore sex like all the good stuff and then the haze code had to go and ruin it for everybody
0: don't get me wrong there's a lot of great haze code era films but also because of the haze code you have to think to yourself you're like you think imagine what sands of iwo jima would have been like without the haze code like oh my god yeah holy crap but yeah it's it's a wonder we got some of the masterpieces that we did during the haze code era yep because if i'm not mistaken wasn't casablanca also a haze code era film i'm
1: pretty sure they even had to rewrite casablanca at one point and reshoot a bunch of scenes because it didn't fit but that i i again what do i know man yeah not much. <laughs> hey
0: quiet you oh uh, so do you think it's uh that time to give our rating for this film no i think it's time to give our rating for this film what do you think would be a a good rating Five stolen pigs. Five stolen pigs.
1: Yeah, I think it's. A, I think it should be on a scale of one to five stolen pigs, or pancakes, uh,
0: potato pancakes, sister kisses, <laughs> sister kisses. We'll we'll do sister kisses.
1: I said that's a
0: joke, but yeah, no, nope, okay. too late. We're doing sister kisses for damn all it. quiet on the Western Front. God damn it it's funny for me because i'm an only child so well i don't have a sister but still <laughs> well there's you either okay. we get we get um, to mock everybody else who does have a sister yeah the weirdos i don't know why you'd choose that
1: we but finally, at any rate we finally get
0: to be the ones that are like haha your sister
1: <laughs> i give this film five out of five sister kisses
0: that is a strong rating what is your uh what is your basis for five sister kisses because well i
1: to i wanted to say this earlier to call this a classic i don't feel like that's doing enough justice but this is a timeless classic it's the like the anti-war film released up there in anti-war films it's aged remarkably well except for you know the occasional line of dialogue and maybe kissing your mother and sister on the lips but still right and like the nazis banned this movie in germany and they would like raid movie theaters that were airing it and like throw stink bombs and like shit at the screens when it was airing and if it's controversial enough for them i have to love it
0: yeah, if the Nazis hate you, you must be doing something right.
1: Yeah, and they, they really hated the author of that, Eric von Remark, because he was very anti-Nazi and anti-war for some reason.
0: Yeah, I can also see how they wouldn't be super... Because, you know, they're probably still super sensitive about the fact that, you know, Germany went into, like, a, a Great Depression immediately after World War One and, like... You know, the wounds are still very fresh at that point. So Absolutely. I could see I could see where this film would not be a, a top choice for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see where they would think it would be problematic for the masses. That, yeah.
0: So for me, I also will give this five sister kisses. Out of five. <laughs> yep. Cursed is, rating system, but... It's it's like you said. Calling this a classic barely does it justice. It is is a fantastic film. It was it really pushed the boundaries of what a film was at that time. Um, there were so many different artistic choices in this that really was a big risk for them, and I'm glad they took it. Like for example, something we didn't discuss was this film has no soundtrack to it. Nope. Um, Zero. The only time you hear any music is when the soldiers are singing. But other than that, there's no orchestral anything, nothing of that nature. And when it was released in theaters, a lot of theaters provided their own music because they're like, something's missing here. And for the studio to make such a deliberate choice like that, that was a, it's a big risk for them because you know, to have something that every other film has at that time and purposely leave it out like that's 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 an artistic choice and I I appreciate those kind of decisions. I also appreciate the decisions for them to take input from actual veterans um and the fact that this is a faithful adaptation of the book really speaks volumes because i mean there is untold number of movies that are adaptations from books that just don't do the books any justice whatsoever so for those reasons i i give it the the five out of five i think now that i've seen each variant of all Quiet on the western front this isn't my favorite version of all Quiet on the western front but i think it is the best version of it
1: hmm which version do you think is best well I per- do, do you prefer
0: so like i said i think this is the best variant my personal favorite is the most recent uh netflix adaptation of it because um, you know the the netflix adaptation of all quiet on the western front it's it's like we've discussed in the past it is a inspired by type film you know, it it's shares characters, shares motifs, and it has a couple of scenes or a couple of thing like specific things that carry over from the original work, but it is very much kind of its own story. So although I love the Netflix adaptation, I, I think that this version is the best version.
1: I got to go with this version for being my go to version.
0: So what did the uh, fine folks at Rotten Tomatoes give it?
1: I'm glad you asked. Um, The critics. It's sitting at a 98% and the audience is an 89%. Got to go with the critics on this one.
0: It's not it's not often that we uh, choose the critics over the audience score. Yeah, it's rare. But I'm I'm glad that even between the audience and the critics score, I'm glad this film got what it got. Um it's mm-hmm. it's more than deserving of it. And it's if if you are a film fan like if if I was to come up like have you ever seen those like Etsy ads where it's like here's a poster where you can scratch off like a top 100 films of all time bucket list type (laughs) deal if i was to make a etsy scratch off top 100 films of all time all quiet on the western front would be like in the top 10.
1: yeah absolutely definitely one of the best
0: anti-war movies ever made absolutely and you know, I I love the fact that this film didn't it didn't hold back even by, like, you know, the nineteen thirties Golly G Willikers standard. You know, yeah. So you you chose this film, right? I I did. So that means that next week is my choice. Yep. So here's the thing. We have yet to do an airplane movie which i've previously stated that two of my favorite types of films are submarine and airplane movies but we have also not done a john wayne film so
1: Why is that pilgrim
0: I, <laughs> I don't know it just Sorry. hasn't come up yet so I before i make my choice i'm going to let you narrow it down you tell me airplane or john wayne movie airplane well i'm glad you asked because we are going to watch it, <laughs> you have to look at. Did you think I was going to pick John Wayne? I don't know, maybe. I'm. Here's the thing, like he's yeah, a racist. Yeah, everybody was. from the '40s was. Yeah, but he was racist even by then standards. Yes, I know he he had his issues, but can we agree that he has made some great films? Yeah. Oh God, where the fuck is this film? Okay, I'm glad you asked, Jack, because we're going to be watching 1942's Flying Tigers starring John Wayne. Ooh! Suck it! (laughs) Got me.
1: Man, yeah, you sure showed me with that movie choice. What's it about? Seriously? Don't say it like that, asshole. Now I feel like I'm put on the spot.
0: (laughs) Okay, so the Flying Tigers flying tigers the movie is about the famous fighter squadron called the flying tigers they were a group of american volunteers who uh prior to america entering world war ii um we had a strict non-intervention policy uh so there was a group of pilots from america who broke neutrality laws went over to china and formed uh a fighter squadron to help in the chinese defense against the ja- the japanese
1: huh i did not know that
0: quite an interesting story honestly hmm, well, i hope to
1: learn more about it in our next film would you like to know more would you like to know that was weeks ago
0: <laughs> still a good movie by the way i would like to say i'm very proud of the fact that uh on our instagram page um when i was just doing stuff uh so we follow casper van deen who was the actor for johnny rico from starship troopers um when i was on our instagram page i saw he made some sort of post about starship troopers and i just commented i'm like oh we reviewed that film recently and we loved it and then he liked our comments so go us Yay! We're we got famous no- now. We got noticed.
1: <laughs> Hooray! Yeah, that's. I think that's all I got for this week.
0: Okay, then. So, if you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review. The stars do matter. Uh, as I mentioned, we do have an Instagram page. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, so go to either one of those. Give us a follow, like, what have you uh to catch whatever updates uh if you are a youtube person our stuff can be found under the history apprentice youtube channel give that a subscribe or whatnot and i believe that is it so it is nice being with all of you thanks for joining us i've been john
1: and i'm jack
0: and we will catch you next time Bye!